I'm Jessica. And I'm Rico. And this is the Always a Critic podcast, where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so many more. If you like us, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to check us out on social media to stay update on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Always Critic Pod. So today, we're changing it up, and I'm leading this bad boy. We're doing a rewind episode because oh, yeah. it's the 30th anniversary coming up um, of when Harry met Sally. It was yes. released on July 12th, 1989, which is the the day that romantic comedies began. Like, that is year zero. <laughs> okay. I okay. Mean, what do you... You're laughing like, oh, yeah, what a good thought. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Laughing. Like, I'm dead serious. Okay. I mean, obviously, there'll be people who argue with you saying, well, there were rom-coms before this. But I think this is where, like, we can say the true romantic comedy, like, really began. The modern romantic comedy began with When Harry Met Sally. No arguments from me. All right. We're good. So, uh, for those of you who do not understand the importance of When Harry Met Sally or might be a little fuzzy on the details, the plot synopsis from Google is as follows. In 1977, college graduates Harry Burns, Billy Crystal, and Sally Albright, Meg Ryan, share a contentious car ride from Chicago to New York, during which they argue about whether men and women can ever truly be strictly platonic friends. Ten years later, Harry and Sally meet again at a bookstore and in the company of their respective best friends, Jess, played by Bruno Kirby and Marie Carrie Fisher, attempt to stay friends without sex, become, sex becoming an issue between them. Uh, that's a pretty detailed synopsis. IMDb is a little less uh, filled out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 90%, Metacritic 76%. Let's just toss the Metacritic right out. because honestly the 90% is closer to the truth um so yeah this film was based actually on director Rob Rainer's is it Reiner or Rainer? Reiner Reiner's experiences post-divorce he was going through a nasty divorce and was just like let's channel this and um he was pretty sad and the movie was based on this kind of dip in his life what a way to like of- really make a movie, which is supposed to be a romantic comedy, <laughs> and just make it about how dark your life is going at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. That is getsy. Getsy. It is. And you kind of see a little bit of it when like Billy Crystal's character uh, later on in the movie, like after his divorce. And I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Reiner's like was heavily influencing that character and that part of the movie. Oh, I have no doubt. Um, so does it hold up 30 years later? What do you think? Okay, so we watched this again uh, a couple weeks ago to kind of gear ourselves up for this episode. And I mean, you and I love this movie. I think it's uh, the number one rom-com ever, at least for me. I know that for me mm-hmm. it is. Uh, and watching it, I think for the most part, I think just about everything holds up. Um, yeah. Really, it, it's hilarious throughout. Uh, <laughs> it really gets at some very funny issues, but 
you know, you have you sit down and you think of them and think, huh, can men and women really be friends? Uh, right. It, it's a great concept and it's a great question to ask. Yeah. And, and actually, um, because we got together and watched it, um, I invited a friend of mine over and I was like, hey, um, you should come over. We're going to watch When Harry Met Sally. And he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. Is this another movie that you haven't watched? This is a, a friend of mine named Chris who has some serious blind spots in his um, movie repertoire. And he is actually a huge fan of romantic comedies and romance movies. And so when he said he hadn't watched it when Harry Met Sally, I was like, oh, my God, you have to come over. It's like no excuse. This is foundational. You can't say you like romantic comedies without having at least watched when Harry Met Sally. Um, For sure. Yeah, so it was kind of an experience. It's a different experience to watch it with a first time, a first timer. Yes, because I felt myself like I would laugh at a line or I knew a line was coming and I would kind of look at him to see his reaction to it. That's kind of <laughs> how I felt I was watching the movie that time. Yeah. And there was a lot of times he was like enjoying himself or laughing or sometimes uh, I guess maybe to his sensibilities, you know, would find something like incredulous like <laughs> yeah. just watching oh that come on like he would like say something <laughs> like that uh so that was an interesting experience having it with someone who'd never seen it before yeah yeah he was and then you know he pays attention too it's not like he's like on his phone like he's not a bad movie watcher no he was he's very not. um i think accommodating and uh, was a good sport about it even though he knew like <laughs> this is another movie that i haven't watched um so do you want to go ahead and say what your first experience is with When Harry Met Sally was? So I came late to When Harry Met Sally. Okay. Uh, so I How had, ex- oh, the, like really late, like a couple of years ago late. What? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That, I don't believe you. I know you don't believe me, but it's true. And I'll tell you exactly where I watched this movie. This is the, this is the funniest thing. So I... Uh, I knew I had blind spots, and there's still quite a few, which um, we're going to be doing an episode later on this year on some of our blind spots or sometimes uh, our first-time watches this year. So, you know, listen for that. But a couple years ago, I was going through my list on Letterboxd of movies I haven't seen. And finally, I was like, you know what? I need to watch When Heron Met Sally. I know the scene, the most, you know, the most famous scene from this movie uh, I could quote that scene, but I've never seen the movie. So I decided it was, I think it was like bedtime pretty much. It was like 1130 <laughs> at night. I was already in my bed. So I just <laughs> I just pulled up my laptop and I just found like a torrent of When Harry Met Sally because it wasn't on any streaming sites. It wasn't on anything. So I had to download it. And then I just watched it there. And thank God it was 90 minutes. Because and also, <laughs> it's a perfect, yes, it's a perfect length. Oh, thank God. 90 minutes. Just like it breezes through. There's no time wasted on anything. And man, did I really love that. That just I love Billy Crystal's like when he goes on a rant, there's yeah. n- nothing funnier in the movie when he starts going on a rant, whether it's like whether guys and girls can be friends, uh, how he <laughs> was he does so many things with Meg Ryan just to get under her skin. I know. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so that's my first experience ever watching the movie. 
And I hold it in high regard ever since I watched it. Wow. What about you? Okay. The year is 2011. <laughs> I am taking some summer classes for my in my senior year of college. And one of the classes, and you're going to be surprised, this was even a class. It was a films of the 80s class. You've told me about this, and I still can't believe that's a real class. It was an ethic. It was a film class masquerading as an ethics class because we had to purchase like an ethics book and everything. (laughs) Oh, that's ridiculous. And I, yeah, it was like my favorite professor was like teaching the class and we would literally just sit in class and watch 80s movies and then talk about them. And it was a lot of fun. So this one was, um, we had part of like the curriculum. We had to write like blogs on blog reviews on movies that we had watched outside of class. And I had to have like some things in them like, oh, I had to have a video link in the blog. And it was like kind of dumb, but whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. Literally, this was a summer class. There's like nobody on campus. So I went to the library and I was literally just checking out movies like DVDs from the library. And I grabbed this one because it was an 80s movie. And I sat, I was like, oh, I think I know who Billy Crystal is. And of course, like I know who Meg Ryan is. So let me just see what this is all about. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Light bulb moment. (laughs) The sky is parted. The Red Sea has been, like, parted. It's just a eureka moment because I fell in love with this movie. And in my blog that I wrote, I reread it just now. I do not let it, like, let loose on how much I love the movie. Oh, I tried okay. to like play it cool because I knew my professor was going to be oh reading the plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of like low key in the blog, but I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and there was like nobody there to share it with. Like I had a single room. I had no roommate. Like I was just watching it on my laptop and I, it was like nobody but the blog. And I still didn't like let loose. I I don't know why you didn't. Uh, you, you definitely should have. I should have just been like. just like on loop um but yeah so that's my experience i watched it in 2011 on that summer it's better late than never for either one of us right no i'm honestly like we're too young to have seen it in theaters and you have to watch it at a certain point i think in life where you can understand everything that they're saying yeah because uh, this movie came out like you said 1989 so if I would have watched this in high school, it would have def- definitely been a different experience had I watched it just like I did a couple of years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a different experience. You have to at least be of a certain age to really understand the dynamics that are going on in the movie. Right. So. Right. Exactly. So um, let's talk about the legacy a little bit. Yes. It was written by Nora Ephron. The goddess. May she rest in peace. Um, Nora Ephron um, wrote the screenplay and it was based heavily off of, again, like Rob Reiner's experiences and even his relationship between him and um, Billy Crystal because they had a fantastic friendship. Yeah. Um, And a little bit of herself is also in it. Nora put um, a little bit of herself in Sally, like the way that Sally orders Food. So you're telling me that Nora Ephron would do that? <laughs> she orders food like that is oh, Nora God. Ephron. 
she orders food like that. And there's some like bizarre story that she said once she was like on a plane or somewhere and she was ordering food. And when she was done, the person next to her or the server was like, have you seen when Harry met Sally? Oh, wow. <laughs> like what a moment to be like, yeah, yeah, I wrote it. And that's actually my, my quirk. Wow. <laughs> what a way to get quoted back to. Honestly, honestly. So again, directed by Rob Reiner. And I'm going to run through some of the movies that he has directed and stop me when you come across something that's kind of shitty. Okay. okay. This is Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, Misery, A Few Good Men, The American President. I didn't stop you once. Yeah. 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 He's fantastic. That is fantastic. Fantastic. Do you... um? Do you know um, this little show called Seinfeld? I do. Um, okay. I do know that show. <laughs> Rob Reiner's somehow connected with Seinfeld as well. It's because of Castle Rock, right? I Yeah, like that production. Yeah, the production company. I think Rob Reiner started that production company, and he was able to get Seinfeld as one of the shows. And so many years later, we're still talking about it. Honestly, Seinfeld is like the best show. Don't at me. Um, it is so good and brilliant. And even if you kind of hate it, like it is so influential. It really is. So again, like Rob Reiner can't do wrong, basically. Um, the music done by Harry Connick Jr. Yes. Harry Connick He's Jr. He's amazing. He really is. Uh, yeah. Really quick on Harry Connick Jr., uh, I had rewatched a couple years ago Independence Day because you know one As does do. that. <laughs> uh, I I always forget he's in that movie until like he shows up like in the locker room next to Will Smith. I'm like, oh, Harry Connick Jr. I always forget every yeah, single time. Yeah, he's like the goose to Will Smith's um, Maverick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, he's in that movie. He flies right under the radar, but his um, musical stylings are bar none so freaking classy. And it holds up so well. Oh, for sure. I as think- soon as you hear that, like, I'm like, when Harry met Sally, there it is. Oh, my God. Got to go watch it now. Because you can't just hear this, like, little tune that he created for, you know, original score. That is so rare nowadays, right? Yes, it's. Especially in a romantic comedy. Yeah, I don't think there has been many scores from a romantic comedy that stand out over time. Yeah. But this one is the rare exception. It's so beautiful, so classy, elevates the movie. And I'm just going to trash another romantic comedy that's very classic as well. I rewatched Notting Hill last night. Homie, that music is so jarring and terrible and so just doesn't fit the movie tonally that bad huh it is so bad and it's like aggressive pop music of that era oh god (laughs) not even like top 40 you know just that's the problem with a lot of like rom-coms is that they'll try to force today's music into a movie which i understand hey like hey uh let's get the latest you know young singer to come on and do like a a song for the movie and sometimes it just doesn't work out or sometimes it just doesn't last i don't understand why you need to like 
force that down people's throats when a friggin' piano will suffice. Like, you know what I'm saying? Harry Connick Jr.'s music in this sets the place and it fits the characters so nicely. It um, complements the movie. You're not like focusing on the music so much as like it's helping you to focus on what they're saying. Exactly. It sets the tone. Plot development. It sets the tone throughout the movie. Oh my god! Notting Hills like nails on a chalkboard. Oh wow! I was looking forward to bits of silence in that movie, and there is plenty of silence, like no music at all, no nothing in. certain scenes and i was like oh thank god (laughs) (laughs) please just leave it silent oh my god so the cast where are they now except i kind of want to look back at where they were oh okay before when harry met sally fair enough yeah who do you want to start with let's start with meg so meg ryan everyone knows who meg ryan is now but before when harry met sally she was basically known for her role in Top Gun, which we conveniently already talked about right now. You yes, mentioned it. We did. <laughs> she was um <laughs> yeah. She was the wife of Goose. Right. Do you remember? I do remember. It's so small, it's not it doesn't last very long, but yeah. Yeah, she she's so forgettable in that movie. And so they really they got a relative unknown to be Starring alongside Billy Crystal. Exactly. And as far as Billy Crystal, I'll go back to Meg Ryan in a second. But Billy Crystal, before when Harry met Sally, he was doing obviously his stand-up stuff. He was a comedian. But he was mostly known for being Miracle Max in The Princess Bride and for being Morty the Mime in This in this is Spinal Tap. Which I don't is know his... if he was only known for that. Well? Uh, uh, because of the fact that like he was a terrific stand-up comedian it, that's not the only thing he was known for, like the stuff that you were right. mentioning. Uh, but also he did a one-year appearance of Saturday Night Live before that as well. Uh, <sighs> I was trying to leave SNL out of this. I know but... you were trying to, but when it comes to just his full career, like he he had a pretty big career before when Harry met Sally, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Meg Ryan, after when Harry met Sally had quite the career. Um, I think there's more misses than hits, but the hits are certainly very memorable. Right. The highs are really high. Yeah, exactly. So Sleepless in Seattle in 93, Anastasia in 97, You've Got Mail in 98, same year as City of Angels, and then I'm going to throw in Kate and Leopold for the fans out there (laughs) in 2001. Right here. (laughs) I really don't like Kate and Leopold, but whatever. Um, Billy Crystal, after When Harry Met Sally, he did City Slickers in 91. Great movie. Very awesome. Forget Paris in 95. Have you seen Forget Paris? I saw it once so long ago that I barely remember it. I do know he was an NBA referee in the movie, for sure. That I remember. Yeah, he was. He was. But it's it's another rom-com. Super, super funny. Um, I think it's very underrated, but let's continue. Analyze this in 99. Monsters, Inc. in 2001. Who can forget Mike Wazowski? I'm watching you, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
So, um, Billy Crystal, again, had a great career after he had a great career before. And then I'm going to throw in Carrie Fisher in here because, Ah. uh, she was princess Leia in all three star Wars original trilogy movies. And then she did this like very small. Yeah. Just a side pit, a side part role. Yeah. As a supporting actress in a, in a rom-com. Uh, I think that Carrie Fisher is super underrated because of the fact that I don't think people realize how good she is outside of the Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, anytime you see her outside of Star Wars, like it's surprising how either funny she is or just how good she is in general. Yeah, I think she's brilliant in this movie and she goes beyond just being kind of like a sidekick character. Yeah, she she is able to get her own arc developed throughout this movie. And she has one of the funniest running gags in God. just about any movie that you can mention. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and we'll get to that later on for sure. Yeah. So that's casting. Um, also, like, side note, Carrie Fisher is, like, a really great writer. Oh, she is. Was uh, a really great writer, you know, rest in peace. But, like. People don't realize that. she's She was known as a script doctor who would come in after a script was done and just like polish it up and either change some things or like put the finishing touches on stuff. Uh, that's something that maybe a lot of people don't know, but apparently she has had her hands on a lot of different Hollywood scripts throughout the years. And she's yeah. the one that has like punched them up. Yeah. She is so witty and dangerous with a pen. Oh my gosh. Amazing. So I just want to set the scene here a little bit. Go back to the year 1989. And I'm going to list off the 10 movies, the 10 um, box office hits of that year. Oh, okay. Number one, Batman. Yeah, that was a big year. Yeah, I was expecting you to be like hooting and hollering on the other end because you love Batman so much. Well, I love Batman, and uh, I haven't said this story on the podcast, but uh, when I was three years old, so that was like in 1990, uh, I had that on VHS, and I wore the tape down. Uh, (laughs) So I was a three-year-old watching that movie. Anyone who has seen this movie, uh, by the way, Jessica has not. Uh, will know that maybe not the most appropriate thing for a three-year-old to be watching, uh, (laughs) but still great. So Batman number one. Number two, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. My favorite, Indiana Jones. Number three, Lethal Weapon. Number four, Look Who's Talking. Number five, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Number 10, Dead Poet Society. That's not a bad year. That is a great year. That is a pretty good year of movies. So good. So at number 11, When Harry Met Sally. That's pretty high for a rom-com. Yeah. That is pretty high. To be the number 11 grossing movie of the year. That's yeah. That's You're pretty good. You're competing against Batman, Indiana Jones. I mean, yeah, Harrison that- Ford and superheroes. Freaking Robin Williams. Yeah, I mean. Little Mermaid came out that year. It did. That was the number 13 movie of the year. And Steel Magnolias, which basically launched um, Julia Roberts' career. Yeah, she was in it. So, yeah, this is the time frame where Julia Roberts rose to stardom. Yep. Yep. 
So that's a little bit of box office um, during that year. Yes. Very good year. So let's talk about location because we talked about music. We talked about the cast. We talked about the year that this came out, a little bit of its legacy, um, and the location. What? Where is this movie set? In the greatest city in the world. Uh, in New York City. <laughs> and it's set in the best season of all, which is fall. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is set famously in New York in the fall. And I got to be honest, it makes me want to live in New York in the fall. And I do not like New York at all. No, I know. you. She has said this many times to us, how much she does not like New York. And uh, I am on the other side of the spectrum. I love New York. Uh, I lived there for a short time, but still, it, it was great. Uh, but in the fall, the entire Forget. Northeast is just beautiful. But New York, you know, takes the cake. Yeah. On that one. Yeah. Um, apparently, Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron and the producer, Andrew Scheinman. 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 God. There you go. Got it out. Andrew Scheinman chose um, beautiful locations to highlight the characters' lack of insight. Whoa. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, because Harry and Sally... Are as blind to romance as they are to the love growing between them. Oh, uh, hmm, interesting. So, like, they're in such a picturesque place, and it's so beautiful, and still they don't realize that what's going them, on between them. What's going on between them? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, pretty sweet. I, I've always seen you know the movie and thought, man, this is a great location. Uh, like one of my favorite shots is when it's on the cover of the of the poster and mm-hmm. it's when they're walking through the park and all the foliage is brown and they're walking through and there's all the leaves on the ground and everything. And it's like, man, what a great setting for this moment here. Yeah. Well, I kind of think that nowadays they would often set rom-coms are almost always set in the spring and summer. Yeah, for the most part. And I think that this movie I don't want to say it bucked the trend because there was no trend at that time, but it certainly took a different approach. And I'm glad for it because, again, if you think of any rom-com, just imagine it right now in your head. Just pick a rom-com and most likely the it's going to be spring or summer that they're set in. You know, they're not wearing coats. They're not wearing any type of gear for the cold they're wearing you know t-shirts and shorts and being outdoors Mm -hmm. so yeah this movie is definitely different in that aspect oh while you were sleeping what that's Uh, one that's set like in the winter yeah that one is set in the winter while you were sleeping but then again it's dealing with a guy in a coma so (laughs) (laughs) not exactly happy times anyway uh beside the point so the premise of the movie can men and women be friends? Okay, so this is a great question. The movie talks about it the entire time. Uh, I Y'all think, got into it after the movie ended. Like, Chris was, like, talking about it seriously. Yeah, he was. And I was joining in on the conversation as well. Yeah, you guys were going at it like it was a conundrum. You guys could not leave until <laughs> you guys figured it out. Yeah, like, you were like, consensus. okay, I'm done. Yeah, I was like, okay, we're done. Yeah. 
But I honestly think that there's now in today's time that we're living in, I think there has to be something added in that statement. And it's men and women can't be best friends. Mm. Um, I think that that carries a lot of emotional weight for a friend to have of the opposite sex without there being some type of basically someone catching feelings. Right. And so that's what if if I were to take that statement and do anything to it, it would be add the word best into it. Mm. Because I kind of believe – hold on one second. I don't know if you heard that loud thunder there. A little bit towards the end. Gotcha. But yeah, I am kind of in the boat where I don't know if men and women can be best friends. They could be friends. You know, they can hang out and stuff. But being like Mm -hmm. their go-to person to either talk or to get emotional with or anything – uh, I think it just leads towards possibly, you know, falling for the other person. Mm-hmm. See, when I watched this movie in 2011 and when I watched it two weeks ago, I still feel the same way. I feel the way that Sally feels where she's like, what do you mean? I have guy friends. And are you saying that I'm having sex with these men without my knowledge? Like (laughs) I kind of feel that way. And then he's just kind of trying to shut her down with like the sex part is always going to get in the way. They're not your friend truly. Because at the end of the day, they want to have sex with you. That's what Billy Crystal. Yeah. And he, she, and he's like, they can't be friends with you if they find you remotely attractive. And then she's like, so if, basically, if I'm ugly, they won't, they will be friends with me. And he was like, no, they'll want to bank, they'll want to <laughs> nail you anyway. Oh, man. Which I, is like still such a terrible thought to me. Like that is terrible. I mean, it is terrible. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I just think that times have changed. And I think that um, that statement that he says is old fashioned and antiquated. Mm. But I think there is just a tad bit of truth to it. Just a tad bit. Not to the full extent that they could never be friends. I just think that there are, if it gets to a certain point, uh, it could just tip over into relationship or even mm. wanting to be with that person. Right. So that's that's my. Yeah, I think we'll two be cents. here all evening oh, if yeah. we. Just, well, what about this? Well, what about this? You know, because the premise is so, it's just a hole. I think it's just a hole. It really is. And you can't Um, dig yourself out. But the movie does such a great job of talking through both sides. And obviously Harry is a supreme asshole at the beginning of the movie and lays it out flat for Sally. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, oh, like, man. have you ever, like, put yourself in Sally's shoes? Like, this person, this total stranger, you're driving to New York, hours on end in the car, and he can't get off the subject that men and women can't be friends after hitting on you. Exactly. He he was hitting on her, and even though he was like... Eh. No, I wasn't. Or he's just trying to play it off. He's trying to play it off. And she's like, you're going with my friend because he's dating like some rando that she knows. And again, like she's trying to be a good friend to her friend. 
Right, exactly. She she is. But again, they're in a freaking tin can driving hours in the night, and he's, like, coming on to her. Like, she's definitely felt threatened, and she definitely reacted the way I would have reacted. But then he, like, I, I almost feel like he blows it off, saying, we'll just be... They go, like, we'll just be friends. And he's like, you realize that we can never be friends. Like, it almost feels like because of that series of, uh, of uh, like, events that he got shut down, that he's almost trying to, like, make the situation better, make him come out, like, not so much of a loser. Oh, so you think it's just a defense mechanism? I really do think it's a defense mechanism, but it is a very interesting concept. If he's sitting there reading the last page of every book that he buys before he buys it, yeah, I mean, he can come up with this like supreme like rabbit hole of a conversation. That is true. That's one thing that I will say about uh, Harry as a character is that he's always thinking and he's always letting you know what he's thinking. Mm. And it, sometimes it's a very, you know, very poignant thought. And sometimes it's just ramblings of a madman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think nevertheless, I think it's, it's an interesting conversation that I think many people have had for sure. Hi guys, I'm Dane. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the IMDb Journey podcast. Where we break down every movie from the top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. But when we're not doing that, we also battle other podcasts in various movie-related games of trivia and drafts. We also give quick reviews about every other film we've watched as well. Yeah, here we're quite good too. Yeah, if you guys don't believe us, why don't you listen to these genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, you guys are really good. I love your chemistry. Oh, hey, Brew. It's uh, this is a this is a good podcast, yo. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, love the banter, guys. Keep it up. I'm DB Jenny. Is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real. <laughs> And if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favorite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So come along and join our journey. So um, let's get into some of the things that we noticed on this watch. Okay. Yeah. So um, a lot of romantic comedies, there's the... This formula that we all know and understand that there is some sort of misunderstanding that happens between the main couple. The main the main couple in this movie does have some sort of like I don't want to say it's a misunderstanding, but it kind of is because they interpret the night they had together differently. Okay, I see what you're saying. But yeah, so that's one thing. That kind of fits that it started this formula, I feel. Where something happens in a romantic comedy, like let's say near the end of the second act, that gets them opposed to each other in some way, shape, or form, or puts something to cause a rift between the two characters. Correct. However, in modern romantic comedies, a lot of the times what unites them might be going against um, a villain of some sort. Yeah, some type of third party that is either keeping them apart or is in the way of them getting together. 
Right. So I think that this film is special because it doesn't do that. Thank it doesn't goodness. have that, that cliche. Because it keeps the focus on the two characters that we want to see that we've been seeing this entire time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the only thing that's keeping Harry and Sally apart is their own various neuroses. <laughs> uh, neither one of them being able to get over their exes, pretty much. That's one. And uh, being too scared of finding, you know, the person that you spend all your time with falling in love with them. You know what I like that this movie doesn't do? It doesn't um, bring up the um, the tried and true, I don't want our relationship to change. That I don't want a relationship? Yeah, like in other romantic comedies or TV shows or what have you that have two people that start out as friends, then become something more, then they have a misunderstanding or whatever, and they're kept apart. But sometimes in the lead up to all of this, you have them kind of like, well, I don't want our relationship to change. I don't want to ruin our relationship by going further and becoming more than friends. Like, you know what I'm saying? I know what you mean. I know they don't have that at all in this. They're not. They're not even considering that. Like, if this doesn't work out, they won't be friends anymore. No, they don't because at the end, because from the very beginning, they're planting the flag of "I'm not interested in you," and and that goes both ways. Uh, Even though at the beginning, Billy Crystal tries, you know, he tries to make a pass at Sally, but then. Even later on, uh, when they meet at the airport five years later, you know, they still can't stand each other even at that moment. So you're saying because they hate each other and then and then become friends that it it kind of bypassed that whole like what I'm saying is they don't have this moment where they rethink what's about to happen because it might affect their friendship you don't think so you you don't think no you don't think in the moment after they have sex no i'm saying they do they have sex and then afterward they're like what what are we gonna do oh okay because i they never like hesitate because of it i thought the the hesitation was there right after they have sex because Billy Crystal is like, I don't know if I want to date her because she's such a good friend. And we I think it might be a mistake. And same thing with Meg Ryan. It's like we we had sex and I don't know if that was a good idea. And they're both hesitant. They it's not like they're like, okay. you know what, okay. this is a great. So I want to pause you right there. I want to pause you right there. Because I need to know how so that's how you interpret Harry after they have sex because they have sex. They don't obviously they don't show it, but then they show Harry's face and he is like stunned. Yeah, he is stunned. Why is he stunned and why does he make it so awkward between them after? I think it's because why do you think that happened? Because I think he is looking at her as a friend. They've established that they've become friends, right? And he just realized that the thing that keeps a friendship a friendship is not veering into physical contact. And we just did it. 
And now that's going to change everything. In his, that's what my interpretation of Harry is, is that, uh-oh, everything's about to change right now. Okay, so here's my interpretation. I have three different theories. Oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> One is he thought the sex was bad. Uh, possible. That's possible. Two, he thought the sex was great, and he was very taken aback by that. Also possible. Three, he is still a creature of habit and wants to leave right after they have sex, which is something that he said to her before, that he wants to leave immediately afterward instead of staying to um, spend the night and and, like hold her all night. He's like, somewhere between 30 seconds and all night is your problem. <laughs> because she, he, he doesn't want to stick around and make more, like make that extra like connection. Because that, to me, is like the equivalent of like hugging someone for a long time. That has meaning to it. Oh, it definitely does. So you're, okay. you're so thinking that... Is that he wants to leave... And he and he doesn't know like how to break it to her. Okay, so okay, I can I can see Number where you're coming four. from that. What? I can see where you're coming with with that with that rationale yeah. for sure. Uh, so then he does have the conversation with his friend in the famous phone call sequence where all four yeah. of them are on the phone. In that sequence, what does he say to his friend that, you know, one thing led to another and we did it? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. What was his response when his best friend says, oh, that's great. We've been rooting for you guys. I'm trying to remember what exactly he said in that moment because I'm trying – I think that will probably give us the clearest indication as to whether or not he is feeling that this was a bad idea or if – you know, maybe it's something that he wanted or, you know, he's confused because it was just with his friend. I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it, that's that's the part that I'm having a, a problem with. And I mean, I'll try to look for it to see if I can find anything on that specific scene to see what exactly he says there. But... I, th- that's what I think, at least. I, I, hmm. I mean, I think we're kind of, like, stuck in how we're interpreting the way he feels in that moment. Well, the other thing that I was thinking was that he, how do I put it? So the first three were he wants to, uh, the sex was good, the sex was bad, he wants to leave. And then I think the fourth one is, I think it happened too fast. And now he's processing what happened, which is closer to what your theory is. Right. He's processing it because... It's so it, it really is immediate because it happens out of nowhere. Like he goes to try to console her after she finds out that her ex is getting married and one thing leads to another and they they do it. And so 
I still think that he is shocked by the fact that they did it. And Mm -hmm. at the same time that, uh uh-oh, this is going to change things between us. See, I don't, I don't know if it's such a, like, again, we're talking about Harry. Maybe it is that he's thinking long-term like that. I mean, this is the only person that he's ever even made an attempt to be more than just, hey, let me date this person. Let me get together with this person. And that's it. This is the person he's made the most effort with in trying to get to know them, trying to be their friend. Uh, the whole I premise. I think that maybe because remember when they were in the batting cages and he was talking to Jess and he was saying it's completely freeing. You know, I get the women's perspective of things and she gets my perspective and I don't have to worry about trying to, you know, have sex with her. Right. He's basically saying they're best friends. And I think that when they have sex, maybe it puts the pressure back on. Right, exactly, because it changes the dynamic all of a sudden. Right. Because right. now the dynamic has changed. Now it's like, oh, it, now that we've had sex, now it's not as easy as, oh, you know, let me talk to Sally about this. Let me get her input. Let me, you know, what what should I do type of thing. It's not going to be as easy anymore because now all of a sudden the physical contact has pretty much broken that facade that they've had. Okay. So that's right. that's what I'm saying there. All right. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, when Harry says she's keeping her name when he tells Sally about his up- upcoming nuptials on the plane, that stood out to me. Why did it stand out? Because that is something that I don't think was very common in the 80s and 90s for the wife to keep her name. No, you're right about that. Um, that started. I think that that he said that, and again, like even today, if you tell people you're keeping your name, or you, God forbid, your children get your name, the <laughs> wife's name, right? Uh, wow, that throws a freaking wrench into people's minds because, I mean. <laughs> It nearly imploded my family just talking about this concept out loud. And they were like, just like it started this huge conversation. And the way that Harry says it, like, why does he even say it at all? Yeah, because he's talking to Sally on the airplane because he's going to get married. Yeah. At that time. And he like throws it off and like she's keeping her name. She's keeping her name. Like. Is that supposed to inform me about who she, who he's marrying, that it's doomed to fail because she won't take his last name? Uh, maybe at that time, maybe in the time period where this movie was made, maybe. That that could be what it signifies. Uh, or that I don't know. It signifies, I took a little bit of offense to it. Really? You took offense to yeah. it? I was like, whoa, what is that about? I just think that it, it speaks to maybe the fact that he's marrying a strong-willed woman possibly and yeah, who Sally's is strong-willed strong-willed i don't know and Just she she doesn't want to she doesn't want to change her name i don't know i don't know it seems it, nothing in this script is by accident I find it interesting that you take offense to it. 
just because of the fact that it feels like because it feels like it's supposed to be a negative or inform you on who she is as a person. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Who Helen is as a person. Who Helen is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like maybe you should have seen that coming. Hmm. That that she would have an affair and like leave you high and dry. I guess the the bigger question to ask and it's not going to be one we can answer now is it is, you know, a woman deciding, "Hey, I don't want to take the man's last name." Is that a big deal or is that a characteristic flaw or is that something that um, we should pay no attention to, I guess, in that time? Well, in society, I don't think we should pay attention to it. If she wants to keep her name, leave her, let her give, get her own. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, leave her alone. She can take whatever name she wants. Okay. Gotcha. Um, But... Because I know the script is airtight, I'm like, bro, what the hell? Hmm. I guess I didn't find it, you know, that that poignant. Unless, looking back, I'm just thinking that she's, the woman just didn't want to take his name. And at that time, it's probably a bigger deal because it's a custom. It's a huge custom for the woman to take the man's name and so the woman she he's marrying uh i guess is i guess more independent if if you're thinking about it in the moment i didn't even you know it's not something that i even really paid too much attention to when he said it yeah so yeah well i did so that was a nitpick um okay do you want to say the next nitpick uh yes this is my biggest nitpick and it's uh, after the 10 years and they become best friends, uh, Harry has a beard and then he shaves it and he should not have shaved that beard. <laughs> he looks better with the beard. <laughs> and I'm not saying that just because I sport a beard myself, but he looks better with the beard. I don't know what it is, but when he shaves the beard for the second half of the second act of the movie, I don't know. It just, it doesn't work. You got so agitated when he shaved his beard. And then I, uh, Sally's like, oh, you can fi- I can finally see your face. Look, we can dance cheek to cheek. And they have that like really tense moment between them when they're kind of, where they're kind of dancing, slow dancing. And they're like, oh, my God, what's going on? What's going on? And you're still like, he shouldn't have shaved the beard. And I'm like, but she likes it. Like, whatever. It works. And you're like, nope, nope. Mistake. Nah, man. <laughs> he looked better with the beard. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fine. Fine. Agree to disagree. Speaking of hair, I think you have one yourself. Oh my god! So when Sally opens the door, when Harry goes over to console her, and she's a mess, she's a wreck. Her hair is unbelievably curly. What is going on with that permed hair? I don't know what's going on with it the hair because like I've seen it. It was like a freaking shooting star because it only <laughs> happened on that night. She doesn't sport that curly of a hair in any other part of the movie. I just don't understand. What are the logistics on that? The only thing I could think of, and this is ludicrous to even say, but uh, just from all the crying she did? No, I, I don't no, know. No, no. It doesn't work like that. No, I know it doesn't. I'm just saying. So that's a nitpick of mine. 
And then the last nitpick of mine is that Sally and Harry stand obnoxiously close together at their friend's wedding. <laughs> oh, this is a good one because it looks like they're getting married. It looks like they're getting married. They're so close. Uh, that's they're a- standing even closer to the uh, priest than Jess and uh, Marie. Marie. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, for people who have seen the movie and maybe didn't notice it, go back and watch Jess and Marie's wedding and see how close Harry and Sally are, are to the priest and how close they are to each other. <laughs> Ridiculous. It really Ridiculous. is. Ridiculous. Okay, now, so now we're now that we're on nitpicks, do we want to go through um, things that don't hold up? Oh, yeah, there, there's quite a few, and it's a product of the times. It's 1989, so um, the phones the phones are like these big, herky-jerky pieces of equipment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think both phones – well, Marie and Jess have two different phones with two different lines in the same apartment, right. which is interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> right. I think that I never thought about it because I was like, sure, maybe they both talk on the phone a lot and they need their separate lines. Maybe, I guess. But it's I such guess. a weird dynamic scene that um, I, I think another thing I think that, that they really just wanted it for the shot. Yeah, they it's it, it makes What's for a great weirder scene to me is that the phones are right next to their beds. Exactly. <laughs> Um, well, the one bed. <laughs> speaking of phones, um, how are you going to keep all your contacts? And that is with a Rolodex, a physical so that Rolodex. Rolodex that <laughs> Carrie Fisher pulls out at the restaurant still has me in stitches because she goes, "Well, you're ready to to get out there again." I can't remember what the line is, but then she like plot plops this Rolodex on the on the <laughs> table on this at this restaurant and they're like oh you can't be serious like it's like she's known to do this she keeps this on her all the time it's amazing it, Rolodex it really I don't is. think even kids know what a Rolodex is no they don't they definitely don't which is crazy um let's talk about sharper image a store uh for you young kids who don't know what sharper image is uh, there was a store, usually in a mall, uh, that would sell the finer things in life. Uh, I, I say that in quotations, really, because it was like a bunch of stuff you don't need. But that was like high priced. Yeah, it was like a... My dad used to love Sharper <laughs> Image. Oh. You could buy speakers, you could buy computers technology karaoke machines like the one that's in uh, when harry met sally and just you know thingamabobs that dads would really enjoy playing with it's like you know maybe like a brookstone yeah brookstone is one it's basically like an adult male toy store in a way right everything that an adult male would want like they could get Mm. here at this store yeah, I don't think I've seen a sharp. Did they close down? I think they've closed down, and if they haven't, they're very close to. I did see a Brookstone once, like within the last couple of years, 
And that's the same concept of store. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, they're still out there in some way, shape, or form if you can find them. Yeah. So next on the list of things that didn't hold up, the line, where were you when Kennedy was shot? What do you mean it doesn't hold up? I don't think kids understand. The reference? That, yeah. Well, they understand. I'm sure they understand that Kennedy was shot. Hopefully. I'm crossing myself that the education system is doing that much. But um, I don't think that that has as much meaning. Yeah, I mean, to to people now who are watching the movie, if you're like a 20-year-old, sure, I get it. Um, Yeah, I guess it wouldn't hold up for them because then they wouldn't know like the whole Ted Kennedy and all that. So the rest of that joke. Harry looks ancient in college. Oh, thank God you brought this up. Because uh, how do you make Billy Crystal look older when he's supposed to look younger? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) We have really good um, de-aging and aging tech nowadays. And I think we take it for granted because this movie has dismal aging makeup that they put on Billy Crystal. And the hair. I think they might have like taped his face back and then put the wig on. Oh my God, the wig. That wig. Okay, so something that I've noticed in older movies is when they want to make a guy look younger, what they'll do is they'll comb his hair down forward. (laughs) To make them look like, oh, I just have messy hair because I'm young. And then if they want to make him look older or just a little more sophisticated, they'll comb his hair back. And a good example of this, uh, I saw it not that long ago, was in Batman Begins. Christian Bale supposedly uh, comes back from college and he has his hair down forward. And then when he comes back from his you know journey, he's older, so they slick it back. To make it look like he was older. I just think you wanted to talk about Batman. No, but this it's it's <laughs> things that you've seen in other movies as well. If you want to go back in time and show a character older, they'll comb their hair forward. And that's what they do with, you know, Billy Crystal's character. Well, they put a wig that the hair is combed forward. Atrocious. Yes, it's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of hair... So these go without saying, but we'll say them anyway. Hairstyles, especially for Sally. Sally goes through a bunch of different phases, um, like that 70s hair, which is like... Almost like Farrah Fawcett in a way. Farrah Fawcett hair. um, What is that? Um, The feather. Yeah, the the feather. feather Look. Um, And then she has like this shaggy hair and then that weird bob that they put on her. (laughs) On the plane sequence, yeah, I it really that one. bothers me. Just bothers me. Um, clothing in general. You know what? I would not say it has aged that bad because I think a lot of stuff like that has come around again. Exactly. In style. That bothers me as well. Well, that bothers you. It does not bother <laughs> me, actually. Right. Because people are like, oh, I want to go grab that at like the local Goodwill. Yeah. It, my sister is candidate and example number one of that. She wow. loves older style, and a lot of younger kids do. So mm. I'm going to say it has not aged poorly. All right. Fine. 
apartment sizes in New York City. Oh, this is in every damn movie that's in New York. Every movie, and not just romantic comedies. It is unreasonable, the apartment sizes. For you people who watch Friends, tell me, how could they afford those apartments that they're living in? When none of them would ever go to work. And this is a symptom in everything. In every single show based in New York. Harry's apartment is huge. Oh my god. He's supposedly a political With consultant. Those huge windows that like doesn't it look out to like the Empire State Building? I think it does. I think it does. Uh he's supposedly a political consultant and I don't know how you're getting that apartment. At that time, there's so much space. So much space. He's able to go out during all times of the day with Sally. And I don't know if each day just takes place on a weekend. I highly doubt that. No, I highly doubt it either. So how is he? Yeah, like when is he ever at work? Sally is a journalist. Supposedly. Supposedly. Because we never see her doing anything. We never see her doing anything. And I... Let's talk about this because I like that they don't bog us down with like workplace struggles. True. They focus. They just keep the focus on the two of them. Yeah. But at the same time, how are they making an income to (laughs) afford such luxurious apartments? So are you saying there should have been a scene showing one of them at work at least once? What needed to happen was they needed to have a scene where they pick up their check on Fridays and they go and deposit it <laughs> at the bank and then they go to see each other or maybe they deposit their checks together. They have a scene where they go um, mail things together. They do. And Why not an ATM scene where they talk about money and Billy Crystal does a little bit about money? ATM. Just saying. Not in that saying. time. <laughs> I'm just saying. I got There you. needs to be... <laughs> And I'm being a little unreasonable here because it's out of the question and it wouldn't work. But just to drive home the point that I don't understand these apartment sizes. And I don't think any of us will ever understand these apartment sizes in romantic comedies, especially with people that have day jobs in media, magazines. It doesn't doesn't fly. No, it does not fly. You cannot live on the island. (laughs) No, you cannot. Not one bit. Uh, yeah. I think we've gone over enough of the bad. Let's let's get into the good. That's not a lot of the bad, honestly. Like that's not a lot of bad. It's not a lot of bad because I don't think this movie has a lot of bad. Mm. But I think it's time to get into the good. Let's, All right. Let's talk about our favorite scenes. Favorite scene. All right. So I know that I definitely will say that their scene. Where men and women can't be friends. Are you saying I'm having sex with these women without my knowledge? <laughs> I think that entire car ride scene is great. Uh, what about you? What's a scene that you like? We'll go back and forth. So I think that when they are in the diner in the beginning of the movie and she is saying that she's having great sex with. Oh, man. What's his name? Oh, uh. Oh, Sheldon. no. Sheldon. Sheldon. <laughs> Sheldon the Wonder Schlong. <laughs> that part is hilarious. But the icing on the cake and the reason why I put it on the favorite scene 
docket is the days of the week panties. Oh, yes. That's a good one. I absolutely think that's a riot. That's a riot. Such a good part. That's a because he goes yeah. like Harry's like, eh. <laughs> I need a judge's ruling on this one. Days of the week panties. <laughs> and then she explains the whole bit and she's like, where was Sunday? Where was Sunday? How come I didn't know where Sunday was? And when I told him, he didn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the reason? <laughs> they don't make Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> because of God. Oh, oh, oh man. So that, classic. That really oh, is my good. God. Um, I want to. Re- I really enjoy the scene where uh, Jess and Harry are at the football game. And they are talking about how Billy just is going to get a divorce. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Billy Crystal's character. I think mm-hmm. that entire sequence is fantastic. And it's intercut with uh, Sally, who had just broken up with her uh, boyfriend. Uh, they're mm-hmm. going back and forth between the two of them. I thought that that was a great scene overall. That's one of my favorite scenes there. Uh, what's yeah. another one of yours? So this one... I think that people glance over this one a lot and it's really just a moment in a certain scene where it's basically that same scene that you were talking about where it's going back and forth between the girls talking at the restaurant and the guys talking at the, at the game. And they say that a certain person is married and he has been married for like over a year. He was a suggestion that Carrie threw out for um, Sally to, to get hooked up with. Yeah. Carrie Fisher goes, oh, married, and folds the paper, folds the <laughs> Rolodex card, oh, and that's puts it one. back in the deck. Back in her Rolodex. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that is brilliant. That is fantastic. That it is a good is one. It is so funny, and her delivery is two thi- not even two words. Oh, yeah. It's it, oh, it, fantastic. Married fantastic god so funny so great the devastation on her face yeah that's what sells it yeah because she's like so like solemn oh married but at the same time delivering like such a great comedic moment by folding the corner of the rolodex (laughs) paper and putting it back in (laughs) yeah i i really feel like it's it might not be an entire scene but it is such a great moment it really is. Uh, yeah. f- a- another one for me uh, would be at the sharper image when they're singing Oklahoma. Uh, Sorry, with the fringe on top. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, that yeah. is so great. And like he's done singing and then Meg Ryan starts singing and she's like <laughs> off pitch completely. And he's just like there like staring because his ex has just walked in. <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about mm-hmm. you? I No, I just want to jump back on Sir with Fringe on Top because he's so playful. Really, he is. In that scene, it almost doesn't feel like he's acting. I think that's just like improvis- improvisation between you the think? two of them. Probably. Oh, it's so brilliant. And then 
just his face drops. You don't see Helen. You just see them. Yeah, exactly. You just see them. The camera just stays on them. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, it lets things breathe. I think the movie in general just lets things breathe and there's nice reveals and the script's just so smart. It's so smart. Um, But anyway, let's continue. So my next one is part of the vignettes that they have in between certain portions of the movie. They have these older couples talking about how they met and and how they got together. Their love story. Right. So you like the one with where she says, I knew. I knew. I knew like, you know, about a good melon. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that is freaking hilarious that is that is a great one how do you know that a melon is good i i'm sorry i haven't gone melon shopping in a long time but you gotta squeeze what even is that line i mean it's a, it, <laughs> uh you gotta squeeze to know if if it's good or not pretty oh. much <laughs> even better even better um i actually like the other vignette that i like is the couple who had basically grew up in the same like apartment building and everything but they didn't meet until like they were in chicago and he said that he wanted to ride up with her extra floors the nine extra floors the nine extra floors that's a good one nine extra floors (laughs) exactly that one (laughs) yeah damn it they're all so cute they really are and i think that um when when me and when me when we were watching it with chris he was like whoa whenever those came on yeah, because they're a little just like almost out of nowhere. Um, actually, I wanted to ask you about that. How did you feel about having like these different vignettes just like come out of nowhere throughout the movie? I adore it. I think okay. it's so well-placed, well-timed within the narrative. And then I think that they're so abruptly different. They really are. That it kind of gives their love story or their budding love story a little more hope. Right. Because they because intercut him, but yeah. Didn't, you know, some of them were meant to be and others got divorced and then they got back together later and now they're happy. And it just were, they were wildly different from each other. And the couples were so damn cute that it made it seem like the story that we were watching and following has a chance. Yeah, I th- totally agree. I think that okay. they're very well placed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and actually, those are real stories. Yeah, they are real stories. They're not like scripted or anything like that. Well, they are scripted, but they're just real stories. They're well, all yeah. real stories that the Rob Reiner collected for the film. And then those were actors just kind of like relating the stories. So those vign- we talked about the vignettes, which were fantastic. Um, I The next one that I like is the high maintenance bit. Oh, okay. That scene really just... I connect with that scene for some reason. I love it. Is it because you think you're high <laughs> you're high maintenance, but you don't think you're high maintenance? The worst kind? It's just the <laughs> entire interaction and the concept of high maintenance. Right. Which, I mean, is there any other movie that really like dives in on like high maintenance? No, not at all. Yeah. Although, yeah. 
Uh, they don't like explicitly like go into the this high maintenance thing. Explicitly goes into what is high maintenance, and are you high maintenance? Right, that is true. Yeah. However, I would go one step further. Harry is a little bit sexist here because she he goes there are two kinds of women: high maintenance and low maintenance. Hmm. And I'm like, hold on, Harry. There are two kinds of men and two kinds of women. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there. It, it's terrible to say what he says. Everyone is high maintenance or low maintenance. Oh. <laughs> I you mean, know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But I like how Harry brings it like home with hair with um, Sally. He says, "You're the worst kind. You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance." Such a great line. It's, it's I don't great. see that. And then he goes. He like roasts her, right? Oh, Ingrid Bergman. Now she's low maintenance. Low maintenance. There are two kinds of women: high maintenance and low maintenance. And Ingrid Bergman is low maintenance. An LM, definitely. Which one am I? You're the worst kind. You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. I don't see that. You don't see that? Waiter, I'll begin with a house salad, but I don't want the regular dressing. I'll have the balsamic vinegar and oil, but on the side. And then the salmon with the mustard sauce, but I want the mustard sauce on the side. On the side is a very big thing for you. Well, I just want it the way I want it. I know. High maintenance. <laughs> oh, man. Such good Beautiful. one. I have one last scene uh, for me. Um, I I hadn't mentioned it or anything, but I think it's the final sequence at the end where Harry runs to meet. That's Sally. cheating. Hey, that it's one of the best scenes in the movie, and one of the best sequences in any rom com. Harry runs to Sally before midnight at New Year's Eve. And declares his love for her, that entire sequence. And we'll talk about more about that specifically, but I think it's one of the most memorable and great scenes. Okay, so other than your cheat, I'm going to throw in one last one. And it is the batting cages when Jess says, you made a woman meow? (laughs) Oh, that yes. I think that is perfect. Um, The fact that he's talking sincerely about Sally and their relationship and how they're best friends and all that Jess is focusing on is that he made a woman meow. Yes. Uh, Just fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, That'll probably lead us into best quotes and to wrap it up. But before we get into that, uh, let's go over some fun facts like about this movie really fast. All right. Casting. Imagine this movie with Molly Ringwald and Tom Hanks. That's a no on the Molly Ringwald, by the way. (laughs) I'm not a fan. She was offered the role, but she had to decline it because she was too busy. She had a busy schedule. Cool. Perfect. Cool. Perfect. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Lovely. Yeah. I'm not a big fan. Not a big fan of Molly Ringwald. In anything that she does? Has done? Uh, not really. Wow. Yeah, just yeah. She's fine, but 
She, I I never feel like she's the best part of any of the movies she's been in. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So on the other hand, Tom Hanks he turned down the role because he thought the film was too lightweight. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Except I think that Billy Crystal kind of is Harry. Like, he is so intertwined with that character. Yes, he is. That I could never see anyone else try and do it. And his stand-up is, like, in it so much in the movie. It really is. His comedic timing is just dead on. I don't think anyone else could have done it. Like, I love Tom Hanks just as much as the next person, but man, no. And Tom Hanks is funny, and he's a comedic... He started off as a comedic actor anyway, but just the line delivery by Billy Crystal is spectacular. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we already said that the con- the picky eater thing, based on Nora Ephron, um, in the museum scene. So they go to a museum, and it's picturesque, and it's perfect, and they are having such a nice moment between them, and... The pecan pie thing is totally ad-libbed. But I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. <laughs> oh, no. But I would but, be proud. But I would be proud. To partake. To partake. Of your pecan pie. <laughs> of your pecan pie. Pecan pie. Pecan pie. Pecan pie. And that whole thing where he's like, <laughs> repeat after me, Meg Ryan like looks off camera as she's laughing. And she's actually, she looked at the direct, she looked at Rob Reiner. And then he was basically like, keep going. And then she like jumped back in the scene. Right. Yeah. You, you notice that on, on repeat viewings, like you see her kind of like look off. Yeah. You are right yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. What do you think other potential titles for this movie were? You know, I've never really thought of other titles, but I'm guessing there had to be before they got to when Harry met Sally, of course. Playing Melancholy Baby, Ooh, no. Just Friends, Boy Meets Girl, Blue Moon, Words of Love, It Had to Be You, Harry, This is Sally, and How They Met. I would have loved it if this movie was called It Had to Be it had You. Had to Be You. The song. The song. Yeah. At the very end. Yeah. It Had to da, da, Be da, da, You. Da. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah, that's that's pretty good line, or pretty good movie, or song. Pretty much, and yeah, that yeah, would have been a so good I title. Minded that as the title. No, I wouldn't have minded either. And again, a lot of the dialogue was based on the real life friendship between Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal, and so the especially that scene in particular, the scene where Harry and Sally appear on the split screen and they're watching Casablanca together and talking on the phone. That is something that Reiner and Crystal did every night. Ooh, that's interesting. Not the part about watching Casablanca specifically, but like <laughs> watching TV, like channel surfing and talking on the phone together. Right. Okay. So interesting. So and very interesting. And it ended up in the movie. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Sure did. Pretty good. Uh, I think that'll wrap up that part. I think we're ready to move on to our final category, which is favorite quote. This movie is full of them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think we'll just go, you know, rapid fire here. We'll each take one uh, because I think <laughs> there's there's some really good ones in here. Uh, I'll start first. There's some on here that I don't really 
like that much. Really? Okay. Yeah, no. I think you need to advocate for a few of these. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to start with the first one is when he says, "When I buy a new book, I read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends." That, my friend, is a dark side. <laughs> I just find it so pretentious. I can't like that line because oh my I don't god. like Harry in that moment. Oh my god. All right, how how about you? What what's one that you like? So I think that we might have the same one on this one. Marriages don't break up on account of infidelity. It's just a symptom that something else is wrong. Oh, really? Which is a very smart take, a very positive take on infidelity. Right. But the response to it is what sells it. Marriages don't break up on account of infidelity. It's just a symptom that something else is wrong. Really? Well, that symptom is fucking my wife. (laughs) The fact that they're doing the wave as this is happening. Oh, my God. As they're saying this. The comedic timing is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One that I did want to add as one line that I thought is pretty good. It's when Sally is saying to Harry... It's amazing. You look like a normal person, but you actually are the angel of death. See, I think that's kind of throwaway. Ah, okay. That's fine. That is fine. I really enjoy that. I get that that you like it. It is good. Um, This is you splitting hairs at this point because the whole movie is amazing. It really is. But that particular line, can't say that I recall it. I think it's a favorite, but whatever. Okay. If you disagree. Go ahead with one of yours. So I like the, um, I had my dream again where I'm making love and the Olympic judges are watching. <laughs> I nailed the compulsory. So this is it. The finals. I got a 9.8 from the Canadians, a perfect 10 from the Americans. And my mother disguised as an East German judge gave me a 5.6. Must've been the dismount. <laughs> oh wow. man. That is a fantastic. I yeah. love that one. Uh, another one that. Billy Crystal gives it's uh, basically when Sally says, "Oh, at least you got the apartment," and he goes on the little tirade of his like, "But really, what's so hard about finding an apartment? What do you do? You look in the obituary section. You see who died. Find out where they live and tip the doorman. What <laughs> what they could do is make it easier to, is combine the two. You know, Mr. Klein died yesterday, leaving behind a wife, two children, and a spacious three bedroom apartment with a wood burning <laughs> fur fireplace." <laughs> The wood-burning fireplace. Yeah, I like that one, too. Oh, that's a really good one. So going back to sex, though, um, I die every time Sally describes her recurring sex dream. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) So freaking good. Like, how... How did they decide to come up with this? Because it's so incomplete, and it says so much about her character. It really does. Yeah. And yeah. so like if you say the Sally lines, I'll say the Harry lines. Okay. Well, basically it's the same dream I've been having since I was 12, which is Okay, there's this guy. What does he look like? I don't know, he's just sort of faceless. Faceless guy. Okay. He rips off my clothes. And That's it. That's it. Some faceless guy rips off all your clothes, and that's the sex fantasy you've been having since you were 12? Well, sometimes I vary it a little. Which part? What I'm wearing. 
<laughs> what a fantastic ending to that. Oh my god. Oh my god, it's so good. So, I would say those are our favorite quotes. There might be a couple that are missing for people who are listening. It's because we're about to get to them now. Uh, what is the most iconic line in this movie? I'll have what she's having. That is and I'll be all. It really is. It's in every single montage of every movie thing that's ever made. I'll have what she's having. Uh, I think a special shout out does go or it should go out to in the final sequence when Harry is declaring his love and he says here, I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Mm. Such a great writing. Great writing. I know, but I love, like, the whole lead-up to that, too. I'm sorry, Harry. I know it's New Year's Eve. I know you're feeling lonely, but you just can't show up here, tell me you love me, and expect that to make everything all right. It doesn't work this way. Well, how does it work? I don't know, but not this way. How about this way? I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. That whole bit is, like, tailored. Tailored for them. It really is. And mm-hmm. I think it just speaks to uh, how regular people they are and how he just finds the little mundane things to be the stuff that really he wants to point out. It's not like all the, you know, like, I think you're beautiful and this. Like, no, no. It's like the, the tiny details that he really yeah. specified that make that scene what it is. Mm-hmm. Now... We've been singing this movie's praises as we should. It's amazing. It deserves all the credit. If we could change anything, anything about it, something that just doesn't feel right in the grand scheme of things, what would you change? Hmm. Because I have a few things. You have a few things. And there's one that I will agree with you on um, because I know you've – at least spoken about it and it's when they are at the wedding with jess and marie for jess and marie Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and basically they were saying like if either one of us found either one of you remotely attractive which is (laughs) such a weird thing to say in in (laughs) at a wedding um yeah i think that's one thing i would change maybe that line i think the entire wedding scene i would take out you would take out the entire thing the entire thing oh okay i just cut it i think it's fat i think it's fatty and in the end i connect more with the montage that happens afterward where he's trying to get a hold of her and she's ghosting him so maybe they could have left out the wedding just completely Yeah, I don't think they needed that spat. I think that we understood inherently that their relationship is broken. It's on the rocks. That the sex messed up everything and that he is, I mean, just taking it badly. He took 
all of three weeks for him to get some other girl. Hmm. Okay. Like, he brought some other date to the wedding. So I really like the scene leading up to the wedding, which is when Sally goes to the dress shop with Marie. Right. And she goes, um, oh, he picked up an anthropologist. (laughs) (laughs) Anthropologist. And um, she says, what is she like? And she goes, "Uh, you know, um, oh, my God, what's the line? Big. What is it? Um, what is it? Uh, young, big tits, a real nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Like your basic nightmare. Yeah. And I like that scene so much. But then they get to the wedding, and it's like all the air gets deflated, and I don't think that their fight has much meaning. And it, I just like the the fact that Harry ends up chasing her to like chasing her to be friends again. Interesting. Ah, that's an interesting. Way more than them fighting at the wedding. Okay. And then, yeah, that terribly awkward line of, if either one of us found either one of you remotely attractive, we wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, that's such a weird line. Which is like a, you have don't an, like it. You have something else that you would either change or something? Yeah. What else? I don't. If I would do this movie over again, I would make it so that they don't end up together. That they don't end up together. That they don't end up together and that they don't have sex. So how would you end it? See, I think that what was most powerful is that image of them walking through the park. And so if they don't have sex, I think that they would just kind of like maybe their relationship comes to a head some other way. Yeah, you would have to try to find out how. The the only way that I can think of is... Which what you were talking about earlier is that there isn't some type of cliched third person to get in the way of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I can think of. And I think that would lessen the movie. Um, I don't know what that is without like them having mm-hmm. sex, but I really don't want them to have sex. Oh, <laughs> like, I think it thing. really doesn't fit. Again, the entire movie is based on the premise of... Can men and women be friends without sex getting in the way? So either if you want them to be together, something else has to like be push push them in the direction of like romance. Then the premise doesn't work then. But I don't exactly. I don't want them to like give in to the to the premise. That's what sells the movie. I don't like it. I don't want them to that be together. That changes everything. We wouldn't be having this conversation if that wasn't the way it was. I totally get it, but I think that what is the biggest draw for me is not the third act from the sex onward. I think the biggest draw is like the beginning in the middle, which is admittedly the rising action of the movie, but their interactions are so beautiful and their conversations are so genuine and they're vulnerable together and they're actually really good best friends. Okay. And that chemistry is why I keep coming back to this movie. Not like this really awkward like sex scene and I'm not sure how to interpret um, Harry's reaction to post-sex and this terrible like wedding spat that they have and, you know, that whole bit. Like that's not like peak for no, me. No, no, I... I- Agree. I agree that you come back for the movie for their 
basically them being friends, but if you're going to have them end up together, there needs to be something that that happens for them to get together. There needs to be some type of conflict. It can't just be that they settle into being into a relationship because that takes away the rom-com aspect. Like, it's a romantic comedy. There has to be something that drives them together. What I think is that they downplayed all of the skinship and, like, the physical contact that they had before. Before the sex. And so that's why they had to go all the way in order for it to, like, have an impact on will they or won't they, like, actually get together in the end. Because they were dancing, slow dancing, which was tense, mind you, but they didn't, like, there was no, like, it didn't push them in that direction. It wasn't enough. No, it wasn't enough. Then at the New Year's party, because there's two New Year's parties, right? The first one, they count down three, two, one, and then... There's this big thing that they have to have a kiss on New Year's and they like peck each other. They give each other a peck. And then that, again, is not lingered on. But hello, they just like touch lips. So that's another thing. When they have um, Harry after the story with a fringe on top and he sings it in front of Ira, like he has this whole meltdown at uh, Marie and Jess's house and they go outside and they hug it out and they have a real fight. But after the fight is over, they hug and they kind of like are are making up in such a way where I'm like, that could be more pushed in the direction of like romance versus they got to have sex in order for, for them to realize that they're made for each other. Hmm. Am I making sense? I I just think that if if you're not if you're not pushing them towards the sex for them in the characters for them to to get it done because that's what the premise is basically based off of i I don't think you have a satisfactory ending anyway i think it would just it would be of a fine comedy and it would be great to watch them but you wouldn't have a like a memorable way of them getting together and it's not the sex part getting them together i'm alone in this yeah i I don't know if you're gonna find a lot of people agreeing with you on this one I don't know if there's anyone else out there who agrees that they shouldn't have had sex or maybe they don't need to have sex to get this thing off the ground. And I know that I'm alone in thinking that Harry and Sally shouldn't have ended up together. In my mind, the perfect final sequence is has time has passed and they kind of rekindle their friendship and it's New York in the fall again. And they just you kind of back out of the scene, New York in fall, they're walking off. Um, backs to the camera and you know they're they're just being Harry and Sally like talking again and and Sally's like me, saying I had my satisfying dream again. ending what like Sally is saying I had my dream again right like something you know I, that's an interesting way so you oh wow so you would rather it not end up romantically no Oh, that's that's a take. But if it had to, is what I'm saying, like, then I would try and find some other way so that they don't have sex. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but whatever. goes against the premise, but okay. Again, like, I'm still trying to, like, bring it back to they can be friends. They are best Because you're trying friends. to argue the first argument where they can be friends. Yeah. That's what you're trying to do. And... I don't think I'm trying. I think that I can see it in my head. 
I just don't think it makes a satisfactory ending at all. Whatever, bro. Like, agree to disagree. So Okay, I, we, need, we need people to actually answer us on this one. If you <laughs> have made it this far into the pod, which is already pretty long, uh, please let us know. Is the way that Harry, when Harry met Sally, a satisfying ending to how the movie led up to that? Uh, or would you change it? Uh, would you change it to the point where they don't have sex? Or would you change it to the point where they don't even end up together? Let us know. We, I need to, I, I want to hear more voices on this one. Uh, so let us know on right. social media. This is my last thing that I would change. The line, you see, that is just like you, Harry. You say things like that and you make it impossible for me to hate you. Yeah. Just toss it. Just toss it. I hate it. I hate that line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a great line. I think there's because could have been he a better has response. this beautiful grand declaration and then she comes back with you see, that is just like you like get out, lady. Like what? Okay, so how would you have changed that really quick? How would you have changed that? Just I think that she line? should have been way more receptive. Gotcha. Okay. No, I agree. trying to, like, fight it again. Right, she was trying to fight it. I get it. I mean, half-heartedly, because obviously, like... But again, like, she's like, I and I hate you, Harry, I really do. And I'm like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. Anyway. All right. I think uh, one last <laughs> thing before we get out of here. Um, probably one of the greatest gags in any movie that just runs throughout the entire movie. <laughs> He's never going to leave her. You're right. You're right. I know you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Fisher. My God. So good. Very good. Very good. Uh, and what a note to end that on. Uh, this has been a pretty contentious one, I, I will say. I didn't think it was going to be this contentious, but it was. But it was. Uh, we have different views on probably the greatest romantic comedy of all time. Uh, <laughs> we definitely have differing views. Now, speaking of contentious, we do have a bonus episode. If you want more rom-com talk, we actually had the girls from the Kiss at the End podcast join us for a special episode where we talk about the rom-com hall of fame. What is that, you may ask? Go ahead and check out your podcast feed for that episode. It's a special bonus episode. We'll explain it and we'll go through it. I think it's a lot of fun. But as far as this episode is concerned, that's been our show. I'm Rico. I'm Jessica. And this has been the Always the Critic podcast. It had to be you. It had to be you. I wandered around and finally found the somebody who could make me be true, could make me be blue, or even be glad just to be sad thinking of you. Some others I've seen might never be mean. Might never be cross or try to be boss, but they wouldn't do 
for nobody else gave me a thrill with all your faults i love you still it had to be you wonderful you it had to be you 